0: Well, I already know what you're thinking. What is Graham doing on the front row? Why is he not behind the pulpit? Well, uh, for the first three weeks of January, he had to send in the junior varsity squad. So uh, just put up with us for one more week. And Lord willing, I know we're all willing, that that, uh, that, uh, Graham will be back next week. But, um, you know, if you were here and maybe you made a New Year's resolution to come to church more in 2017... Uh, if you were here New Year's Day, January 1st, 2017, you heard from Jimmy uh, Hendrix. He's kind of got that name where you have to say both names, right, Jimmy Hendrix. And uh, but he opened up our little mini series on the Book of Jude. And so I'm gonna uh, Matt Dean spoke last week, and he took us through the middle part of it. And I'm gonna go ahead and and uh, take us home today. And uh, we don't have a, uh, a scripture reading for you to take home with you this week. But I'm going to encourage you to read through the whole book of Jude. Yeah, the whole book. Alright? It's only 25 verses. But that'll be your scripture reading for this week, so go ahead and, uh, and read that uh, this week. Well, I think we need to be honest and ask ourselves, because this is not a really fun book. It's not a lot of fun stuff happening in this book. And so we need to ask ourselves, is this book even relevant to us? Do we think it means anything to us? I mean, there's some kind of weird stuff in this book, right? I mean... The archangel? First of all, what's an archangel? Secondly, what's he doing disputing with the devil? Like, that's weird, right? So, is this book relevant to Fellowship Bible Church 2017? Well, I think it is. And I, obviously, I'm here, and that's what we're doing, <laughs> right? So, uh, I have a, uh, a friend that in sixth grade we were BFFs. Okay, if you don't know what a BFF is, just ask somebody that's under the age of like 35 or something, all right? And uh, at the end of our sixth grade year, the middle sc- our school district decided they were gonna uh, draw a line and they were gonna build another uh, middle school. And so I went to the new middle school, and my friend, my BFF, went to, uh, stayed at the old school, and so we kinda lost touch, all right? No, uh, you know, cell phones back then were like eight to 10 pounds, and they had way too many buttons on them, you know? And there was no Facebook, so we, we just lost touch. And it wasn't until the end of my senior year, just a few months before I graduated, that we kind of reconnected because we found out we were going to the same college. And we didn't know anybody else that was going to this college. And we were like, hey, you want to be roommates? Because we're kind of scared. You know, I, we don't know what's going to happen at college. And so we were like, hey, let's be roommates. And we were. And, you know, this guy was a really good influence on me. He, he, his family had gone to church all his life, loved the Bible, um, you know, loved God. And so he was a really good influence on me. I, on the other hand, uh, we had not been, a, been to church my, during my whole um, teenage years. And uh, really kind of unprepared for the temptations that were, uh, were waiting for me at college. And so um, uh, as we uh, went off to our first year of college, you know, uh, I ended up, we ended up being really good friends, or I ended up being really good friends with the guy that lived right next door to us. And uh, he became my weekend friend, if you know what I'm saying. And his weekend started on Wednesday night, <laughs> all right? And, uh, and so, and my roommate became my weekday friend. And so my roommate would read the Bible, and I would read my Bible. And my weekend friend would go to parties, and so I would go to parties. And my weekday friend, my roommate, would uh, go to the, the on-campus ministry group called InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, and so I would go with him. And, uh, and my weekend friend was a frat brother. And so I tried to be a frat brother. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, as, towards the end of that year, this chasm that was being created in my life because of my weekend friend and my weekday friend, this chasm uh, became too big for me to straddle. I felt like that, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Ice Age, or the movies. Uh, You know that prehistoric squirrel thing? He's always chasing after that acorn, right? There's this one scene where the acorn, you know, the acorn's like always moving. Every movie, it's just, gravity never stops this thing. So the acorn rolls out onto the ice and it gets lodged in a crack in the ice. And this squirrel thing is just scooting all over to and He's so happy because he's about to get this acorn that he's been chasing for like, I don't know, 17 billion years, right? And he finally gets to the acorn and he's like salivating and he's just so excited. And, and right before he gets it, the crack in the ice splits. And because it's a cartoon, five seconds later, gravity catches up with it and he falls And that's how I felt. I felt like I had one foot here and one foot here, and the chasm was too wide, and I had to jump or I was going to fall. And thank God I didn't fall, and I jumped all in for God. And actually, at that same time, me and my friend, my weekday friend, we just became so in love with Jesus. Our lives were really radically changing. I mean, it was that first love type of experience when you meet Jesus for the first time and you, and you are just so sure that he has forgiven every sin in your life. And you've connected with it, and you begin to see the world in a different way. And you see people in a different way. We ended up becoming leaders at InterVarsity. And our lives were really beginning to change. And then we, I transferred schools. And uh, he stayed at that school and I went to another school Again. And, uh, you know, we tried to keep in touch, but, um, you know, we only really saw each other during the holidays or over summer break. And, uh, and then came along, you know, a couple years later, several years later, came along these things, uh, the cell phones that you could actually keep in your pocket. And they have, like, mine only has one button, you know? And, uh, and Facebook. And, and so we were able to reconnect and stay connected ever since college. And the more that I spoke with him, the more weird stuff I began to hear when we would talk about Jesus. And at first, it was just little stuff. It was maybe he wouldn't talk about Jesus, or maybe he would be, be saying something that he heard, you he read on, on the internet or something. And, and before long, now, if you talk to him, and it hurts me because he's my friend, I love him dearly. But when you talk to him, he reminds me so much of the, these people that we read about in the book of Jude. He's left the faith. He'll tell you that, too. And it's, and it's sad because he's got some kind of a mixture of what he's grown up on and what he's learned from personal experience and this other stuff that has crept into his life and completely strangled the faith that he once had. Well, I just wonder to myself, how did it come to this? How did he get there? And I kind of feel, you know, when in First John, when he writes in 1 John chapter 2, I think we have it up on the slide. It says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. You know, he's not with me anymore. He's left the faith. He's teaching things that are, I mean, to say that they're contrary to the gospel is, is easy. <laughs> They're strange things, and I just I don't I don't quite get it, because we worship together. We would sneak into the on-campus chapel, and we would worship God just by ourselves, and we would consume the Bible. I don't, I don't get it. Well, if you were here and you and you uh, maybe you made a, made a resolution to uh, come to church go to church more in 2017, and you made it on Sunday. January 1st, 2017. You were here when Jimi Hendrix opened up our mini-series in the book of Jude. And uh, if you were here for that first message, you heard that, or if you noticed it in our reading today, that Jude really wanted to have a different tone with his audience, with the the people he was writing the letter to. Verse 3 says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary, you could say, instead, to write to you appealing to contend for the faith, to fight for the faith. And so instead of writing to his audience about the blessing of having your sins forgiven, being united with Christ, he felt that he needed to write to encourage believers to fight. They have to fight for their faith. Because the faith, was being misunderstood. More than that, it was being twisted and perverted and corrupted. But how? How was that happening? You think this, just, this stuff just comes to you. If you're, if you're a believer, you think sometimes, don't think this. Don't think it just comes to you like, ah, oh, it's just going to happen. Like, I'm just going to continue believing this stuff. It's, it's not what he's saying. He's saying, I need to write to you to fight for the faith that you are holding on to right now. And how was it being distorted? Verse 4. For certain people had crept in unnoticed, okay, unnoticed, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord. I mean, these people are not coming in with a, with a hat and sunglasses and a big trench coat, all right? That's not what he means by unnoticed. That's, that's how you get noticed, right? Nobody wears that stuff, right? So they're, they're coming in, and they're inside the church. They're inside. Now, if you're really honest with yourself, let's, let's be, you know, if you're an honest thinker, you're going to say, okay, so what, Brett? So what? Remember, these people are inside the church, okay? It's one thing to realize that there are mockers of Christianity outside somewhere, right? People who hate Jesus, they hate Christians, they, they, they are totally, they, they worship tolerance, and yet they are completely intolerant of Christians, and the way we live our lives. But they're on the outside. Jude is not concerned with them. Jude is concerned with the people that are inside the church. They have crept in unnoticed, and yet they deny that Jesus is the Master and the Lord. It's kind of scary. It's kind of scary. They actually mock the truth, and they get away with it, because they're subtle. They're sneaky. So is this book relevant to us? Yeah. I don't want you to be paranoid, but look around. (laughs) All right? I'm just saying. Jude is saying that. Jude is concerned with people who are singing songs with us, dropping kids off at church, listening to sermons, even taking communion with us. He says they're here with us, but they're not of us. Paul says this about them in 2 Corinthians 11 For such men are apostles are false apostles deceitful workmen disguising themselves as apostles of Christ and no wonder for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light so it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness and so this is where the danger lies not in what's going on outside the church but what's going on inside the walls in this world of ours And the danger is that the church, because of their influence, will have such a watered-down, apathetic, twisted, distorted attitude towards the gospel, towards the truth of Scripture. And the danger is that the church will fall away. Listen to me. I chose those words on purpose. The danger is that the church will fall away because of these people that live ungodly lives and yet profess the same things that we do. Now, we know that God will not let all the church fall away. But some will. And how do we know that? Because we already read it. They were designated for this condemnation. And in every generation, as Graham prayed this morning, we must fight for this. Every generation. Nobody gets a pass. We must fight for this faith. Not just here from the pulpit. Yes, we do, from the pulpit, but in our private lives as well. And so to wake us up to the realities of the dangers of these people, Jude reminds us of something and he gives us a a history lesson. If you were reading with us and following along, man, he is all about history, teaching us something. Look at verse 5. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt... Afterward, destroyed those who did not believe. Wow. These people, I mean, think about the Exodus for a minute. They experienced firsthand the power and the goodness of God to rescue them out of slavery. They saw it with their eyes. They experienced it. Whole families. And what does he say? Afterward, destroyed those who did not believe. They did not continue to submit. They did not continue to trust. And they were later destroyed by Jesus. This is a harsh book. It's very graphic and straightforward. It's not easy. But we need to hear this because this book is for us. So, trivia question How many Israelites did Jesus rescue from Egypt? Trick question, don't raise your hand. All of them. All of them. He rescued them all. But He later destroyed some who did not believe. And not just the Israelites who didn't believe, but look at verse 6. Even the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left. In other words, they did not keep their proper dwelling. He has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. So are you getting the importance of fighting for your faith? There is judgment there are consequences to letting our gospel, to letting our truth, our faith, be twisted and watered down and distorted. Woe to them. It's a sign of, of, of a curse, of, of, of such terrible grief. Woe to them. Verse 11. For they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. Now, I love this verse. I mean, it's just one verse, and he, man, talk about a history lesson here. We go back the whole way back to the beginning with Cain. And think about Cain for just a second. This is just an example of just straight, simple disobedience to God. Cain and Abel. God, it's not written in Scripture, but obviously God must have given them some kind of instruction on how to worship him, how to bring an offering to God. Abel brings the, an acceptable offering. Cain does not. God says, what's wrong with you, man? Look, why are you downcast? Just do the right thing. You'll be accepted. But God, Cain was not interested in that. He was interested in worshiping God in his own way and doing his own thing. Later on, we know that Cain ended up murdering his own son, or his own brother. It's just simple disobedience, rebellion towards God. And it says these people, these people that are in our midst walk in the way of Cain. Now look at the progression. They walked in the way of Cain. They abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error. Now Balaam, and and, you know Matthew had talked about this uh, last week. It's kind of an obscure story in the book of Numbers, and uh, I'm not going to get into the whole story. I would, I would encourage you to read. Numbers actually is a great book. Uh, it gets a lot of, it doesn't get a lot of playtime, you know, but uh, man, it's a, it's a really great book. But um, Balaam was a prophet for hire, a prophet for profit, all right? And uh, he was called on by uh, uh, a, uh, an unbelieving uh, people to come and curse the Israelites, God's people. And he was not an Israelite, but he had some kind of fear of God, and he knew he shouldn't do that, but man, he was tempted because they were offering him some serious cash. And ultimately, he gave in, and not only did he he give in, but he caused a whole group of people, a whole mass of Israelites to rebel against God. All for the sake of gain. And then, the last step. They perished in Korah's rebellion. Now, Korah was the name of a man who led a rebellion against Moses and against God's people or God's leaders. Now, Korah and his followers were Levites. What we know about Levites is that they were in charge of worship. Remember, these are people, not not secular people on the outside, guys. They're here with us. They were in charge of worship. And he led a rebellion against God. And I'm not going to tell you exactly how God destroyed them. If you were here last week, you heard, but read it. An unusual way, but God's judgment came swift to these people. But I want you to see in this verse the progression. They walked in the way of Cain. Simple disobedience. They abandoned themselves. So this now we're not just, we're not just taking a step. Now I don't want to do that, God. Maybe something else. But now we're abandoning ourselves. To sin and to rebellion, and just, I don't care about God anymore. And not only that, but encouraging others to do it too, and dragging people with us. And what's the next part? Judgment. Judgment. This isn't easy. This is, I'm sorry, this is not a fun message. I'm not sorry, but this isn't a fun message. And so, what is the power of these false teachers, these apostates? John MacArthur likes to call them spiritual terrorists. What is the power of them? That they work from within and they're fearless. They're fearless. That they will will kill themselves while trying to kill others. Look at verse 12. They're hidden reefs at your love feast as they feast with you without fear. Now, if you're in a boat, we don't have a lot of reefs around here, but if you're in a boat, and you're coming up on a reef, you can't always tell how close to the water it is. You know, water has a way of, you know, I went bow fishing one time, and I missed like eight in a row. I mean, they're, I mean, they couldn't have been two foot down in the water, and I just kept missing. And I don't know if it's that because I'm a bad shot, or I just didn't understand light refraction in water. But when you're coming up on a reef, it looks like there's depth to it. It looks like there's something that you, don't, you don't know, but before long, man, it can shipwreck a huge vessel. And that's what they are. That's what they threaten to do. And so if we as believers are going to be able to stand up against these spiritual terrorists, we need to be trained to see them and brave enough to call them out. Look, they could be in our Sunday services, they could be in our Bible studies, our men's groups, our women's groups. Listen to the vividness of Jews' writing. They're shepherds feeding themselves. what's a shepherd doing if he's not looking out for the sheep? They don't care about anybody else. They care about themselves. Waterless clouds swept along. Look, back in this day, if you're a farmer too, you know the importance of rain. If they didn't have rain, they don't grow crops. They don't grow crops they're not going to eat. So when they see a storm cloud coming, praise God, hallelujah, there's, there's, there's rejoicing. And yet, here it comes. And where's the rain? And it's gone. It's like they promise something, but they never deliver. Like a fruitless tree, twice dead, uprooted, it says. It's a fruit tree. Where's the fruit? People could be sitting with us and we could know them and they could be here with us and week after week after week after month after year and we see no fruit in their lives. Be careful of those people. They're like wandering stars. Now we don't use stars for navigation anymore. I don't use stars for navigation anymore. Right? But a wandering star would have totally misled people who were traveling. Am I right? I mean totally misled them. And that's what they do. They promise guidance, and yet they guide you down the wrong path. And another way of describing them is that they're ungodly. I mean, he's so rich with detail. He just fires out these, these metaphors. or I don't even know if that's the right word. I'm not in English. You know. Whatever. <laughs> but they're ungodly. Look at verse 14 and 15. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold... The Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against. How many times does he need to repeat this? They're ungodly. Let's just let's just bottom line they're not of us. They're ungodly, and they're dangerous. And their ungodliness will be dealt with by God, but right now they're here with us. They're here with us, and they threaten to shipwreck our faith. And so what do we do as Christians? Well, we have a battle plan. We have a battle plan. How do we guard against them? Let's read verses 17 to 23. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, In the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy... with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. And so we read this. What Jude writes is not just to the believers in the first century. This is to us. Fellowship Bible Church in 2017. And there are four things that I want us to see. Let's look at them one by one. Number one, we need to remember. We need to remember. He says that since this is the case, that among us are these defectors of the faith, That though they've left the faith, they haven't left the church. We need to remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their their own ungodly passions. Here's the prediction, the prophecy, the warning. Watch out! They're going to be here. Don't let it surprise you. Don't let it knock you off your guard. Watch out. And I think that this is really a, a really kind of a shocking prophecy or a shocking prediction. Because let's put ourselves back in the first century. Let's, let's remember okay, the apostles, they experienced Jesus dying, they experienced Jesus coming back to life. And they were given these predictions, these prophecies by Jesus himself. Hey, I'm leaving, but I'm coming back. Oh, you are. And I'm going to rule and reign as the king. Oh, you are. That's what we thought you were. You're going to do that. And I'm going to take Christians, I'm going to take believers to a beautiful place. And I'm going to make a new heaven and a new earth. And think about it. After Jesus left and you saw mass conversions of people and there were healings and just a wonderful time. And then there's this prediction. That there are going to be people in your midst. There are going to be people who think and act and talk like they love me. And they don't. And they're going to be, they're going to be as if like a terrorist. They're going to be in your midst and yet dangerous. They're going to be people who fall away. So we need to remember that this, this shouldn't surprise us. This was predicted. This isn't new, but it is a potential danger for us. And so we need to remember that God is in control. God is in control. He's the one that predicted it. He's the one that's telling us, hey, in your midst, there's going to be these people. And in his providence, he's allowing it to happen. So the first thing we need to do is remember. Number two, we need to keep. We need to keep. Let's look at verses 20 and 21. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Now, reading these two verses, it actually, it, obviously it sounds like more than just one thing. Okay? But I'm going to just kind uh, of you know, summarize it by, by the word Keep. There are actually three things that we are to do in order to keep ourselves in the love of God. Number one, we are to build ourselves up on our most holy faith. So in order for us to contend or fight for the faith, okay, not difficult here, we need to know what the faith is. And it's not just some head facts either, just some things that we memorize. But we need to know and be trained in what God's Word says, so that when the truth is challenged, we can say, wait a second, that, that doesn't sound right. That's not right. Because if we're not trained, we can be swept away. And we can begin to wonder, oh, I wonder if that's true. Well, that makes sense. And that's, that sounds right. But if we're not trained, we'll be swept up by that. Going back to verse 19 for a second. These people cause divisions. But how do they cause Divisions. They cause divisions because we, even seasoned veterans, have a tendency to wander from the truth. 2 Corinthians 11, Paul says it this way, I wish you would bear with me for a little foolishness. Do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband, to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve... By his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. In other words, you started out really well. I'm afraid that you're not going to make it. Why are you putting up with them? So learning the truths of the gospel is never merely learning the facts of the gospel in our brains. But it is studying Scripture and letting God's Word affect our words and our actions and our thoughts. It's studying God's Word so as to become obedient to what we read. That is what it means to build ourselves up in our most holy faith. The second thing we need to do is to pray in the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> pray in the Holy Spirit. Along with building ourselves up by learning and embracing the truths of the Gospel, we need to pray. Now, when we uh, learn more and more about God and we study God's Word, that never ever replaces our dependence on God. It never does. And so we, we do it hand in hand. We, we study God's Word To know how to live for Him. To honor Him. And we pray for the ability to do it. Our dependence is always on Him. Does that make sense? And praying with or in the Holy Spirit is simply just praying in harmony with God. Laying down our agenda and saying, not my will, but yours be done. We're praying with the Holy Spirit. And we know that when we pray according to His will, we have whatever we ask. And so we lay down our agenda and we pray with Him because our dependence is all on Him. And the third thing is we are to wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Now, I love daydreaming about the day when we see Jesus. I I do it all the time. What is it going to be like to see him, not just with the eyes of faith anymore, but we actually get to see him. This isn't make-believe, people. We are going to see Jesus. What is that day going to be like? Listen to what it says in 1 John. I think I have this verse up there on the screen. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. but we need to stay strong till the end. So we look forward. We wait for the mercy of Jesus that is coming. People say, oh, Christians have been saying that for years. Who cares? We keep waiting. We keep waiting. We keep waiting. And so by doing those things, by building ourselves up, by studying Scripture, by learning the truths of the Gospel, by praying in the Holy Spirit, Because we're constantly dependent on Him. And by waiting for the return of Christ, we will keep ourselves in the love of God. We will keep ourselves in the love of God. Now, I don't want you to hear me say, keep yourself saved. Keep yourself saved. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what Jude is saying. Jude already covered this, actually. In verse 1, a lot of times if you've been reading the Bible for a while, you kind of get used to reading those you know the first couple verses of a letter of, of Paul or something in the New Testament, because it kind of sounds similar, but man, they're saying true stuff here, and they're not just randomly throwing out a greeting. Listen to what he says. We are called, comma, not called beloved. We are called, comma, beloved, or beloved in God and, third, kept. Listen, do you, do you hear the security in that? By God Himself. We are called by God. And if you were here New Year's Day, you heard Jimmy talk about this. This word called is not just a general invitation to people. Hey, I'm calling all. Please come to me. I have salvation. That's not, that's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is the power of God to bring life. It's more like when Jesus called to Lazarus, who was in the grave. Lazarus, come forth! And what happened? Did Lazarus say, I don't know. "Eh, maybe. No. Life. Life entered his dead body. That's the power of being called by God. And we are kept for Jesus by God Himself. If God is holding us, who could ever snatch us from His hand? No one. So when we say, when when Jude says, "Keep yourselves in the love of God," he's not saying you need to keep yourself saved by doing. It. Hey, if you just work really hard, you pray hard, and you read hard, and you you'll keep yourself saved. That's not what he's saying. And we're going to learn that at the end of this book too. So what does it mean? What does "keep yourselves in the love of God" mean? Well, the way that I like to to um, describe it, and I think I got this from Ted Tripp. If you've ever uh, read anything about from Ted Tripp, uh, I think I got it from uh, Help Me Shepherding a Child's Heart. He talks about this circle. I, mean, I, I share this all the time with my kids. When, when you know my kids are they're disobedient every once in a while, and so when I discipline them, I. I, I talk to them, I try to, you know, I sit them down and I try to tell them what they did wrong and, and I talk about this circle of obedience or this this circle of blessing. That where you're when you're obedient and you stay within that circle, there's blessing. We enjoy one another, there's no discipline, there's no harsh punishment, nothing like that. There's blessing. And when when we step outside of that circle, we're disciplined. When my son or my daughter disobeys me and they step outside of the circle, do they cease to be my son or daughter? No. I discipline them to bring them back inside the circle. It's It's an act of love to discipline them. And that's what God is saying here. That's what Jude is saying. Build yourselves up. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Wait for me. And that way, you'll keep yourselves in this blessing relationship with me. You're not going to be... John MacArthur says, wouldn't you want to... uh, I should just read it instead of trying to quote it from my memory. Don't get on the bad side of God. Don't we want to experience the blessing of God instead of His discipline? Right? It's simple. It's not a relationship thing anymore. It's not like, are you or aren't you? You always are. But man, I want to experience the blessing of God, not His discipline. Keep yourselves in the love of God. So the first thing was remember. The second thing was to keep. And the third thing, let's look at verses 22 to 23. Let's reach out. Reach out. Have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. And so this is how we guard against or fight for our faith. And you know, while I was preparing, this is probably this Um, It's probably the most surprising uh, part of everything that I've studied. And I thought when I'm reading it, I'm like, well, you know, you just, okay, you know, you're guarding against faith, but you also have to reach out to others. And I thought that was it. But, you know, Jude, I mean, obviously, you can hear it. Jude uses some really straightforward, harsh language. And he does so in these verses, too. First, let's see that he's talking about three groups of people. Number one, those who doubt. Now in every church, every church there are people who are confused, right? Now if they're in our church, they've heard the gospel. Every Sunday we hear the gospel. Faithful preaching of God's word. But these people, not only maybe they've heard the gospel, but they've heard some other things too. And so they're confused. They're not really sure how they go together or what to believe, and they're just kind of, maybe they're immature, they're young, and they're confused. And so... Jude says, it's with these people that we're to kind of come alongside, put our arm around them, share with them the truth of the gospel, and maybe point out some of the things that they're believing that aren't true. That's mercy to them. Now, uh, to save others by snatching them out of the fire. Now, here we have a little bit more dangerous situation, right? These people are no longer just maybe confused these people are, are now convinced of lies. Now, it says to save others. Do you and I save anybody from the eternity of hell? No, we can't save them. God saves him, but God has called you as a Christian. You are going to be his instrument through which he saves people. That's how God does it. God doesn't just work alone. He uses us. So we are to save others. We are to go to them, share with them the light, the truth of the gospel, and snatch them out of the fire. Listen to that word. That word literally means to attack, to get them quickly and securely out of the fire. But we need to be careful lest we get burned by those flames. Snatch them out of the fire. They may already be convinced of some false ideas about God. Maybe they believe that God wants all of His uh, children to be happy and wealthy and healthy all the time. Right? Like your best life now. Or maybe they believe that Jesus isn't God. Maybe He was just a good man. Maybe the Bible isn't the inspired Word of God. Maybe it's incomplete. And there's another book. Maybe they believe that it's mostly grace, but partly works. Whatever it is that they believe, we are to go to them. Keeping in mind that we also may be burned by the fires of the lies that they are believing. And now this last group are those who are just full-on apostates. They're full-on spiritual terrorists. They're no longer confused. They're not just convinced. They are committed to these false beliefs. So, God has called us to them. Um, It says that their their, uh, garments are stained by the flesh or defiled. Now, Jude's language here is not, there's no other way to put it other than it's, at the minimum, PG, maybe PG-13. And I, you know, I'll do my best. But it says that these, the garment, the word garment that he uses is not just like an outer shirt or a jacket. It's the type of clothing that you wear closest to your skin. It's your underwear. Their underwear. And he's saying that it's defiled, it's stained. Their underwear is stained, is what Jude is saying. They're so committed that they live with the filth. And they love the filth. And they're committed to the filth. And yet, God doesn't say, shun them. He doesn't say, criticize them. He doesn't say, make fun of them. He doesn't say, turn your back on them. He says, go to them. We are to go to them, realizing the danger how we could be spiritually soiled or spiritually stained or corrupted when we go to them. If we go to them and we are open-minded, like our world today just worships openness, right? Totally closed to Jesus and to Christianity, but they worship this idea of openness. And if we go open-minded, then we can be spiritually stained by their committed beliefs. But we are called to go to them they are under God's wrath. And God says, show mercy to them. We are to go to them nevertheless. Now, we, uh, we don't turn away from them. We don't criticize them. We don't talk about them. We go to them. We don't consider them brothers and sisters in Christ. But we are to go to them with fear of the danger that waits. You know, you and I are called out of darkness Into light, to go back into darkness with the light. And we need to be aware that that is sometimes dangerous. Now, I know, again, you might be thinking, so what kind of danger? Are you saying that I could lose my salvation? Is that what you're saying, Brett? No, it's not what I'm saying. That's not what Jude is saying back in verse 1, but again in verses 24 and 25. He's saying the same things. Let's read that. Now to Him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before His presence with exceeding joy, to the only wise God our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. And so in these last two verses, we see that we are to rest. We are to rest. And here, really, we have the highlight of the whole book. Now, a doxology is literally a praise word. Doxa is the Greek word for praise. Lagos is the Greek word for word. Praise word. It's a a word of praise. And we see this in the Bible. It's kind of like this eruption. It's an eruption of praise where the writer of this book has been thinking and explaining the deep things of God. And then he just kind of erupts And this is how a doxology works. It always has two parts to it. First, it shares something that God has done or will do. And second, it ascribes to God some kind of a character trait that kind of parallels what he is going to do or has done. That's how a doxology works. But I don't care about that. What I care about is what he's saying. Listen to what he says. That Jude says to us, that you and I can still be a Christian. We can still be Christian despite the fact that we are surrounded by subtle and sneaky deserters of the faith and spiritual terrorists confessing the same things we confess. And it took no less than the glory and the majesty and the dominion and the power of God to keep us Christians despite this. You know, through this book we've read about people who have fallen, angels who have fallen, false teachers who have fallen, and people who have fallen because of false teachers. And Jude ends with this, to him who is able to keep you from falling. Literally, he is able to keep us from apahistas, from apostasizing. He is able to keep you from going down the same road that these spiritual terrorists threatened to take you down. Why are we to reach out with fear? Why does he talk about snatching them out of the fire? It's because it's dangerous. But God has the the glory and the honor and the majesty and the dominion and the power to keep us. Honestly, I'm amazed that I'm still a Christian after 17 years. I'm amazed. I am. Was I the one keeping my salvation? Was I the one... Who was doing the keeping? Was I holy enough? Was I self-disciplined enough? Was I wise enough? Humble enough? Loving enough? Kind enough? Gentle enough? Was I? Absolutely no. No. Not even close. I'll tell you what I was. I was consistently sinful in my thoughts. Consistently unkind in my words. Constantly battling doubt. Struggling with passivity. Beaten down by lust. Consumed with selfishness. So what hope do I have? What hope do I have? If I am that way and I am surrounded by spiritual terrorists. Now to him who is able to keep me from falling. God is able to keep me. And you know, that sounds like enough for me. I feel so full knowing and believing that God is able to keep me from falling. But Jude doesn't stop. And we can't stop. And I know it's late, but we've got to keep going. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before his presence with exceeding joy. And this is where I lose it. I can't, I can't possibly fully comprehend this. I can't. That I, even though I believe it, that I am going to stand before God with no shame, with no guilt, it takes my breath away. Who can stand before God Nobody, But apparently, I will. And this is the truth that overcomes my biggest fear. And if I can just be honest with you for a second, my biggest fear since being a Christian is not going to hell. Probably before I became a Christian, that was my biggest fear. But my biggest fear since being a Christian is that I would get to heaven and God would not say to me, well done, good and faithful servant, because I'm not good or faithful. But that God would say to me, you made it. You made it. Barely, but you made it. And then I read this. That he will present me faultless before his presence with exceeding joy. I don't deserve to be kept by God, much less do I deserve to be able to stand before him completely acceptable in his sight. And instead of bringing disappointment to him, I bring him joy. (laughs) This may be one of my most favorite verses in the Bible. And they're also probably the first verses that I've ever memorized. You see, when I was a kid, my family, we grew up in uh, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and we went to this church for several years. And I was, I was young, and so I don't re- have a lot of memories of this church. But I do remember, uh, without me even knowing that I was memorizing this, every Sunday the pastor would get up, and I still remember his smile. And he would kind of step out from, the, from behind the pulpit, and he would say, to close every message, every message, every Sunday. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before his presence with exceeding joy, to the only wise God our Savior, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power. And that's why I I memorized it in that that version. You guys read it in the ESV probably, but I, I don't know the ESV. I know that one. But it wasn't until a few days ago that I realized how ironic this was. You see, my family left that church when I was about 11 or 12 years old. Because the pastor who would recite these beautiful verses committed adultery on his wife. And he stayed on as pastor of that church as if nothing ever happened. And it's in this irony that I experience again the power of God to keep me and to present me faultless before his presence because a false teacher taught me these verses. God is good and God is able. Let's pray.